0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the Mud Studs and Skull Caps podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Kelsey. And in today's episode, we are going to do a deep dive into the topic of being on the bed and why we need to take a hard look at ourselves and the riders we idolize and ask, why is hyperflexion becoming more and more common? this conversation by asking you the question of what is your view on hyperflexion is this something that and actually I guess I want to back up even further <laughs> we're going to okay. define this term and just we'll define the term in just a second but when I'm talking hyperflexion in today's episode we are not talking about Roker we're talking about it in a much smaller degree but still your horse is behind the vertical so when we talk about hyperflexion it's really about that horse being behind the vertical so for you, what is your view of hyperflexion? Is this something that you use occasionally? I avoid at all costs. Like, what is
1: your your view of it? As I'm getting older, it's something I avoid at all costs. And when I was younger, it was something I thought I was avoiding at all costs. And yet, what I conceived as they were no longer behind vertical, they were still behind vertical. So it's something that I've been trying to correct continuously because I think, especially with Trin, as we started her ourselves, hmm I think we taught her really wrong and that we taught her to go behind the vertical way too frequently and that's something I've been trying to unteach constantly. And I think it's just people default to it a lot more than they should.
0: Yeah, and I think like for me, I think I was the same way, right? The older I'm becoming, the more like... I'm even to the point where it's like, I want that throat open even more. Like, just yeah. like I look at so many pictures and I'm like, just just lengthen your reins one inch and just open that throat just a little bit more. So I feel like I'm becoming very like almost extremely the, you know, opposite of, you know, behind the vertical is, you know, I don't mind a little in front of the vertical, actually, if my horse is like open in the throat and happy. And I think what we did with Trin was that we started her long, low and deep was the problem is that and that was where I was using hyperflexion the most was I was allowing my horses to get too deep and also encouraging them to get too deep thinking I was going to get a better backstretch out of out of that that I was doing my horse was going to be working their top line more actively if they were lower down and deeper which unfortunately is actually just (laughs) not not the truth their bodies just don't work that way
1: (laughs) right right and I also I found that I have changed where my where my eye goes and looks to tell if a horse is on the bit or not even on the bit, but I've changed where I go to look to see where the horse is hyperflex and if they're using the muscles of their body correctly, in which previously I would just look at the arc of their neck. And a lot of times, you, you know, that will tell you if they are just cranking their head in or not. But now I've realized I need to look at their throat latch, see if their throat is open. And then on top of that, looking right in front of the withers, if that is hollowed out or not. And that has really changed my perspective on hyperflexion because if your horse is even slightly behind vertical, Either their throat latch is gonna be closed or they're gonna be hollowed out in front of the withers or they're gonna be both. I really wish you could
0: look behind you when you rode. Like, I really wanna just look at my horse's back and lumbar and be like, are you lifting or are you dropped? Like, what is the angle of your back right now? Cause right, their back should be level. Yeah. And I see so many like times when the horse looks great in front of the saddle, but their back is like dropped out and it just looks like, you know, a hill or a cliff or something from that, the point of the, the top of the bottom towards the saddle right like totally drops and to me like I wish I could see that just to make sure that my horse is actually level when I'm riding them so that's like a pain in the butt that I can't see behind me because right everything actually starts behind you it doesn't start in front of you
1: and it's frustrating because part of this wanting to look behind you is you want to see when they're actually doing it so you can correlate like what does it feel like what does it actually feel like with them lifting their backs I know I don't experience it often enough but I remember being in a lesson once And my horse, of course, stopped to poop, right? Or Mm -hmm. was walking and pooping. And my instructor, he told me, that is how you want their back to feel. I mean, obviously, pooping, it's a little bit exaggerated, but they're having to fully lift their back to squeeze that
0: turd out. Right, they're totally lifted to the loin at that point. They're not dropped out in their loin. And I think that's, yeah, that gets so missed. And obviously, you know, Pooping is the extreme version, as you mentioned, like, right. There's like, there's, you know, other activities lift going on at that time. But I mean, they're fully engaged with their core and yeah. are like lifting and squeezing. So, you know, that's a good idea of what you're yeah, trying to feel.
1: It just gives you a sense of that feeling. Obviously, it's a little bit exaggerated and overdone when they're pooping. But it that's something you be, should be striving for when you're riding is something to work towards that feeling. You won't get it to that extreme, but, you know, you'll be able to tell when you're getting kind of closer to that feeling of where they're lifting their back underneath you. And you can actually feel them lifting the saddle. And it's just – it's a completely different feeling than what most of us are used to. And, I mean, I know I it's a different feeling than half of my ride typically is, you know.
0: Yeah. No. And I uh... – like I could definitely you know Dublin we were getting there more and more frequently so I don't like remember every single ride we did it with Dublin when especially when we were getting um, working towards third level but I do know exactly what it felt like on Dublin there is like a very specific way it feels on him where like just suddenly everything clicks on and he's lifted and he's soft and his neck is like much bigger especially at the Withers his neck has almost doubled in size it seems like and there's a much different feeling but I remember getting it on other horses like those are the time i also like very specifically remember those rides where i was like on a stranger horse or on um like one of the lesson ponies i used to ride and work i would get it sometimes on them (laughs) and it's just like that moment of you just feel so like lofty and the shoulders feel so different like you can really feel it in their shoulders when they change
1: it has taken me until now, today, and even it's gonna take me probably a couple of years longer, and I'm just constantly gonna be learning. But I'm just now really starting to figure out how to get Trin to be able to lift her back and engage her core, and we're getting it so much more often than we ever used to get it. And it just it feels so good. So I I know when the feeling is happening. I know when we finally got in there because all of a sudden her jaw will relax and just her ears will relax and just the whole picture will relax. Where I can feel when she's dropping in her croup or something, everything is tight. It feels like I'm riding a two by four.
0: Right. And I think if you can't feel it in your whole body, the horse isn't doing it through their whole body. If all you can feel is, oh, lightness in your hands, but you don't feel the change in your seat, then your horse isn't doing it. They're likely just evading the bit. So I think that's also a really good check is like, do I feel this everywhere in my body or do I just feel this in one place?
1: What's the definition of hyperflexion?
0: I have definition for what I'm using as hyperflexion, and also I have the definition for being on the bit. So we'll start with on the bit since that's kind of where – that's the good. Let's start with the good. So this is really when a horse is on the bit. I don't have an issue with this phrase. I think there are definitely – Camps that have an issue with the phrase on the (laughs) bed. And this is something like this topic has actually been talked about a few times in the last week or two versus on other podcasts as well as in like written material. I've seen a few articles on Facebook. But I don't have an issue with the term. It's just that the term needs to apply to the entire body. And I think sometimes when we hear just the term on the bit, all we're thinking is the front half of the horse and we're not thinking about the back half of the horse. And so for me on the bit is when the horse is truly lifting and placing their hind feet directly under their body and the hoof print of the leg in front of them or in the front leg, right? That made sense. (laughs) High leg steps into the hoof print of of the front leg left. They are stretched through their back and through their lumbar and it's lifted. Think of that suspension bridge sort of image. Uh, And the pole is that highest point of that outline. So their neck may have a nice round look to it, but the pole is the highest point. And I think something riders get confused a lot of times, and even I get confused with sometimes when I'm looking at pictures, is when we're talking about pole being the highest point where... The pole, as in the physical structure of the vertebra, is the highest point, and then the following vertebra are below it. And I think sometimes when you look at photos, you see a really crusty horse or a horse with a lot of muscling, and that is higher than the pole, but we're not talking about the horse's mane being higher than the pole. We're talking about that vertebra and the pole not being flexed forward, because that's what you see a lot of times when you get into that over um, overflexion or hyperflexion is that the pole is then flexed forward and dropped, but it should be level um, when the horse
1: is on the bit. That makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. And the pole is something that is—it's a lot easier to look forward and see if your pole is dropped than to look behind you and see if their croup is dropped.
0: Right, and I think there is definitely though you have to make sure when you're looking at the pole being dropped. Make sure you're looking at, like, I like to look at the angle of my brow band. Is my brow band pointed forward or is it pointed up? And also this idea that, like, can I set a cup of water in between my horse's ears and would that cup of water stay or would it fall off? So you're really looking at levelness because I do, you're going to look at a lot of photos because I did this today. I googled dressage photos. And a lot of times I think there's a lot of confusion over the horse's muscling and his mane is not... That, that tends to sometimes still be the highest point, but it's the vertebra and how they connect. Because remember, the horse's neck vertebra drop to the bottom of their neck. They're not along the top of the neck. So then when we're talking about hyperflexion, and again, there's gonna be, there's like a 100 terms for this. So it's behind the bit, behind the vertical. Rol- Rolker is often lumped in here, but I, I'm going to again say Rolker is something different, or it's just a more extreme version of this. We... I think 99.9.9999% of riders <laughs> all agree Roker, to that extreme hyperflexion is bad. But I think where we get in trouble is people use this low, deep round like we mentioned and think that's okay, or they think a slight overflexion is okay, or they just don't even notice where the horse is in relation to the vertical. So for that, for this definition, we're just really talking about when the horse's nostrils drop behind the eyes or the pole drops and is no longer the lowest or the highest point that's what we're talking about when it comes to hyperflexion is this can this may only be a matter of of inches versus you know the horse's nose being cranked to its chest
1: right and I think people commonly think with hyperflexion that if I'm doing it to a small degree it's not an issue or they think that it has to be this massive movement there has to be this massive image that you see the horse's nose clearly behind the vertical and that's not exactly what it is. That's not necessarily true. Right. And I think like our sort of, you know, in the last couple of years, there has been a lot
0: of outrage and, you know, a lot of people very upset with seeing this Rolker style of riding and seeing, you know, the cranked flash nose bands and the horses clearly in stress as they're being ridden. And I think people see those images and go, thank God I don't do that. <laughs> you know, my horse is not in that camp. And what they're not realizing is that well you are probably definitely not riding to that degree. You would know if you're riding like that. You probably aren't aware that you are experiencing overflexion or hyperflexion throughout your ride, right? Like if you're not hyper, hyper hypersensitive to this and paying a lot of attention, it's likely happening and it's happening either for moments or really commonly, and we can talk about this now or later, happens in warm-up. That's where we're seeing it the most is people are using this as a warm-up method and it's not a great warm-up method.
1: I have seen it and I was actually at times taught to use it as a warm-up method. Yeah. It's very common that you see it happening.
0: Yeah it is a common warm-up method but I just want to like throw this out there. How do you warm up for exercise? Like you don't start by stretching and you don't start with the deepest hardest stretch first right. You take time to build up and I. For you to touch your toes, right, may take weeks (laughs) and you know how much pain you're in the second you go to try to touch your toes and like, whoa, I am not as flexible as I thought I was. Well, those same things are happening to your horse. So when you do put your horse behind the vertical, what the things that are going on with your horse biomechanically are that first off, they're going to be engaging actually the bottom muscles on their neck. And that's a lot of times why we see these horses that are ridden behind the vertical have a really thick thick neck and that's often when you're seeing horses that are ridden just slightly behind the vertical because when you pull do roller basically everything turns off. But when you're just slightly behind the vertical, what you're doing is engaging the base of the horse's neck or not not the good base, but the bottom of the <laughs> horse's neck. Um, and those muscles are gonna grow. And I think people then look at their horse after a few months and are like, wow, look how big his neck is and you know his muscling's in the wrong place basically. They're not lifting muscles. Those are muscles that are getting big because of tension. Also, once, as soon as your horse comes behind, you're starting to close off his windpipe and his throat, he's gonna have breathing problems. I mean, even you can practice tilting your chin to your chest and you almost immediately notice that there's a difference with your windpipe and your ability to speak. And you're not cranked back or forced back, it's just that slight amount of pressure. Uh, The horse also has a lot of glands and things in that area of their throat, and all of those start to squeeze in on their windpipe. It also pulls your horse forward onto the forehand They start to become heavier because they just, right? That neck is so, so heavy. Like a horse's head and neck is so, so heavy. And as soon as you change that balance, yours is going to be on the forehand. Like that's just how it works. Also things like depending how long you're doing it for and how to the degree of which your horse is flexed, you're gonna see um, strain on the connective tissues, right? There's a big fear about damage to the first few vertebrae in the horse's neck. There's also you know concerns about damaging the, the connective tissue that hold the muscles to the vertebra or hold the muscles together as well as the vertebrae together. Um, and you're also gonna cause like long-term damage to the support structures and the anchor points of those muscles and ligaments to the spine. And then things like their vision will be impacted because they can't look straight ahead of them. So there's like a lot of things that are happening that are not good when you ride in this position. And this is really, you know, sometimes your horse gets there and it's not because you force them there. But it doesn't mean these things aren't still happening. Just because force wasn't used doesn't mean that this still isn't going on.
1: And I think that's something that should be addressed more often because I commonly hear people, oh, my horse just – this is where they're more comfortable oh going in. Like What a blame excuse. <laughs> I know, and it's so common. I will grant some people that there has been one horse in my entire life that he felt more comfortable originally behind the vertical a little bit. But it wasn't because that's where he naturally chose to carry himself. It's because other trainers had put that onto him and that was the only way he could figure out how to balance himself. And so I hear when people say – My horse feels more comfortable carrying himself here. That's why I warm up here. That's just not true. And so it's very frustrating that I think so many people want to immediately go on the defense and say that, well, my horse is the exception. This is just where they're more comfortable. This is their natural movement. This is what their breed determines where they should carry themselves. That's not a good defense. That doesn't make what's happening an excuse. It doesn't make what's happening acceptable. So yeah, some thoughts with that is behind the vertical, even if
0: the horse naturally goes there, that's an invasion tactic. Your horse is A, they're either afraid of your bit or your hands because either the bit or the hands or both are too strong. Or they don't have the muscles to hold themselves in a correct position. Their muscles are developed you know, aren't developed or were developed incorrectly. So it's easier, like you said, for them to go behind the vertical or they've been trained to go there. But any way your horse gets there is still an invasion tactic, whether they decided to do it themselves or you've put them in that position, they're still evading that contact and invading that bit. Um, and it's not not good. I think
1: the breed we most commonly see this as an issue with is Arabs. Arabs and um, what's the other, the, 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 the... A lot of Spanish bred horses, like the Andalusians. um, Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't think. There's another breed. I can't remember what it is, but it's kind of along those lines that you see it happening in.
0: I won't discredit breeding from being part of the reason the horses do go there. Like it may absolutely be a more natural thing because especially if you look at how Arabs are ridden in the Western world or the performance world, they are ridden on purpose and bred on purpose to like break. Um, in their vertebra and keep that pole yes. really low. So I will say there probably is some breeding that's going into impacting Arabs specifically to be more broken. But that doesn't mean that they can't be ridden in a more correct frame. It just means it's going to take a little bit more work for you as the rider, and you have to be that much more aware of it. Because yes, Arabs do have a
1: little bit of a tendency to ride behind the vertical naturally. Yeah, and that was the one horse that I had that he felt a little bit more comfortable. Was he was an Arab. And you just felt mm-hmm. a little bit more comfortable in that position. But you still have to work on teaching them an easier way to carry their body that's less harmful to them.
0: Yeah. I mean, just because your horse likes to go there doesn't mean that's, like, the excuse, right? My horse likes to do lots of things like, <laughs> that's not good for them, right? <laughs> like, yes if you own a thoroughbred you've seen the cuts like my horse likes to cut himself I don't know why it's also not great for him so I'm gonna try to avoid it I'm gonna take all the sharp things away and so this is it's in that same thing like your horse does just because they like it or go there naturally sometimes does not mean it's okay we could talk a little bit more about the biomechanics of how the horse moves and what structures are involved but I do want to address because you did just mention it this argument that I hear all the time, and dressage riders are super guilty of this, but I think riders on all disciplines are super guilty of this, and it needs to stop now, is using the argument that this is how my horse naturally moves, therefore it's okay. Like even if you're talking about riding your horse correctly, that is not a good argument. <laughs> Whose horse spends 40 minutes, you know, practicing their pee and pirouettes six days a week? <laughs> No horse does that willingly in their pasture. I'm sorry, but they don't overload their hind end and perform highly collect, you know, high collection movements in their pasture. Yes, your horse probably, when there's new mares in the pasture next door, will run up to the fence and prance in a very collected position for about 10 seconds, and then he goes back to eating. They're not doing this on their own, right, for an hour, five to six days a week. Yes, they naturally move that way, but for a very, very short period of time. And so I think it's really important that we recognize that this is not their natural, sustained way of moving. And that we take that, Well, it may be the most efficient way for them to move, especially with a rider, we need to take into consideration the effort and the training that goes to get them to be able to do that for a sustained period of time and that it takes a long time to build that muscle and that it's not something you can just start with day one.
1: Right. And it's frustrating because how many times growing up do we have it drilled into our heads that you have to have a 60-minute ride or at least 40 minutes ride? Like it was just constantly drilled into your head that you need to be working your horses for this long and your horse is going to get tired and eventually fall to the position of being behind the vertical Or some way because they're just overexerting their muscles and they're exhausted, they're tired. And so you have to be very cognizant and aware of not overworking your horse and slowly building up that strength. That way they can hold it for a lot longer. But anything that you're going to ask them to do, you have to build up the strength for and it needs to come in short segments and not long drawn out periods of training
0: right otherwise then you are setting your horse up to evade the bit because if you're overworking those muscles they don't have they have to evade because they can no longer support themselves because they're exhausted so that's why it's so important that you know you take the time to build that top line correctly so that the horse can do that work
1: and then people feel that their horse is so much softer at the end of their ride when they're slightly behind the vertical or dropping but it's not necessarily because they're softer they've just gotten tired
0: Right, and remove their mouth from making contact with the bit, right? Yeah. And that and that is something that, like, when I was doing a little bit of research on this topic the last couple days, is something that kept coming up, is that there's a mistake riders are making for – they're mistaking evading the bit and going behind vertical for self-carriage, and they're not the same thing, as we, we highlighted. Self-carriage is not the absence of feeling. It is 100% feeling, but as you mentioned, it is feeling it everywhere, So if you are not feeling anything and you think that's correct, no, that's not correct. So do you want to give us a little bit of the biomechanics of how to correctly be on the bit and what's going on when your horse is in the good place?
1: I don't really have a super in-depth breakdown of it. Kind of what I was looking up and figuring out was how the rider needs to be holding their body and... Kind of what the horse needs to be doing before you can never have them on the bit and so we previously discussed the training pyramid and the basics i think it kind of gets mixed up and confusing where on the bit comes into play because a lot of people would think that it comes in right after contact on the training pyramid because that makes sense if you're going to have contact you don't want your horse's head up in the air you this is when if you have contact you're going to be starting to place them on the bit and in some regards that's kind of true but there's a lot more stuff that have to happen before your horse gets on the bit Contact being one of them. And so in regards to the training pyramid is you first have to establish a good rhythm. And then you need to establish impulsion and having that energy, that four momentum. And then you can establish your contact after contact, straightness. And now once you have all those four previous steps, you can ask them to go on the bit. Yeah,
0: I absolutely. So I think this is a common misunderstanding riders make is that contact is not on the bit. Contact is the rider and horse developing a feel of one another and the horse starting to develop that seek. The horse is seeking the bit, they're seeking the contact and the rider is there. And that contact, when we think about it on the training pyramid, really is more of that long grain. It's somewhere between a, stretch, a stretchy, chewy circle and being on the bit. That contact is the feel um, and it's the support structure for being on the bit, but it's not physically being on the bit. Uh, You mentioned that it can't come until after straightness, which I don't disagree with. I think what we're seeing is so many riders trying to be on the bit and get their horse round, and I'm using air quotes, uh, prior to establishing impulsion. You cannot have the horse round and on the bit without impulsion. And impulsion isn't speed. Impulsion is actually the horse engaging their haunches, and it's the first step of being on the bit. We all, I think everyone has heard it so many times that it, on the bit, starts with the haunches. Well, what is that? That's impulsion. That's the horse actively lifting and placing its feet um, and having thrust in that movement. And to have thrust, you have to be stretched through that loin. And that's when you're going to see if you can, a horse that has impulsion also has this really round beautiful bottom <laughs> like their butt is the perfect it's perfectly round a horse that doesn't have impulsion and is being ridden back to front has a very pointy butt there seems to be a, you can see the stress of the muscles you can see the tightness in the muscles you can see the tightness in the fascia and that's because the horse is just pulling its feet its hind feet with them instead of thrusting and pushing and using those muscles so if you're looking at your horse's hind end and it isn't gorgeous and round and plump you know maybe they're not getting enough feed but they're also not using those muscles to develop them correctly a peaky hard kind of And i'm thinking the muscles look so strappy and so pulled when i'm thinking of a horse that's really just pulling their legs and it's because they're using their legs incorrectly
1: other things i was looking into in regards to being on the bit was I kind of looked at how the rider should be riding the horse. It's hard for a lot of riders to, myself included, to really imagine the feel like we, we were talking about earlier because they just, they never experienced it before. How are you supposed to imagine and seek out this feeling if you don't know what the feeling is? And so one of the things that gets frustrating because it happens to a lot of riders is you end up blocking the horse's energy with your hands or your seat. And it's just, on the bit is, it's think of the circle. You have a circle of energy moving where the energy is allowed to come up, go over the top, exit, and then come back around. And a lot of times either a rider is breaking the straight line from bit to elbow with their hands or they just have a very stiff seat and it's halting that energy somewhere and it breaks up that impulsion. No,
0: and I absolutely agree with you. And I'm actually like – I kind of blame – some of this on the language that was used in a lot of books previously so a lot of books oh, yeah. that i've read from the 50s and 60s and the, is the the terminology they're using is almost cringe worthy but you have to actually like read the passage and read the paragraph in complete context and understand that they're using terms fixed hands and braced back and while those sound to me horrible and totally cringy and i think writers are taking brace back in fixed hands and turning it into something that's not they're using the term of fixed hands to say that the rider's hand is constant and not that it's it's not moving up and down it's constantly on that contact it's constantly supporting and they use the term fixed hands and i and that's not what they mean. The hand isn't stuck in place. Fixed hands to me is something that is more common in performance discipline where your horse is trained with draw reins and they're trained to just like hit the end of the the rein length and drop their head. And so I I kind of have to blame some of this maybe on how things were described previously in some of the previous terminology because fixed hands and brace back sound horrible, but if you actually read these these books and and try to understand what they're saying they're not saying fixed hands they're not saying braced back they're saying supportive core um and supporting hands
1: right and that's another part over on the bit terminology probably really confuses people because on the bit is strictly focusing on the front half of the horse their mouth the bit portion specifically you know it doesn't acknowledge the back end of the horse just in that three little words
0: yeah and that's I think why I'm not I'm not in love with the term but I don't hate the term because I understand the term but it does like you said it implies that we're only looking at the front half of of the horse and really what the term is trying to say is that the horse has come from the back to be able to be on the bit and be able to meet you at the bit essentially and it's it's not starting at the bit it's this meeting of rider and horse at the point of the bit if that makes sense.
1: One of my favorite things is always I've said, I don't know if anyone else has ever said this. I say it. I don't know if I stole it off somebody, but I'm going to give myself credit <laughs> for this one. Is I always say it like you want the horse on the bit, not the bit on the horse. Yeah. So you're not bringing the bit back to the horse. You're you're pushing them on to onto the bit
0: right and this goes back one of my big breakthroughs i was went to a clinic a couple different clinics some of the big breakthroughs i had was hearing this idea of your hands are pushing forward your hands are never to take back your only cue with your hands is to push them forward and to have your horse meet your hands out there and that i think is really important
1: do you know how hard it is though anybody your next ride go out and just ask for a forward transition or any transition without pulling back on your reins or turning without pulling back on your reins. You know how hard that is? I struggle with it every single day. It
0: is so so hard and it, it cuz the thing with riding is that your natural instinct is wrong. <laughs> like right you want to <laughs> you want to use your hands. We are hand heavy as humans humans are developed to be hand heavy uh, with everything we do we rely mostly on our hands we don't rely on our feet you know to do everyday tasks except for walking us around but like our hands are how we do everything uh, and so when it comes to horses we see the same mistake being made as that we become a hand heavy as humans and as riders we rely solely on our hands but if we're hands heavy then how do we feel the bit how do we feel the lightness how do we you know i just you can't be hand heavy you have to be so much softer and lighter in your hands
1: yes 100% It's them a th- opposable thumbs they really get you
0: yes right there's an illusion <laughs> there that your hands are the solution to all problems and and they're not you really have to rely more on your seat and this is something that i think the germans have been noted on for many many years as they rely almost exclusively on their seat and their back. They really see their back as one of their training aids. And to me, again, when I hear the word back, I think what it's more it's the core you're using your back as a steering aid but you're steering your back with your core Uh, and this is really seen as an aid and when you come into the american school of thought we don't talk about core being one of your natural aids we talk about seat and legs but i also think your core is independent of your seat and legs and that your core is its own individual aid that should be used and should be relied on yes 100%. So I think we're going to talk a little bit now about some of the causes and the arguments people have for hyperflexion. And this kind of really starts off where I wanted to start the conversation was with the books, with um, the historical definition of on the bit and imagery versus today's definition of on the bit and imagery. I think in the 2000s, we saw a huge shift in what on the bit was. And I think there's a lot of reasons, a lot of things we can poke at as being the reason of this. When I'm looking through, so a lot of the books I have that I rely on, that you know I love, are books that are from either the 80s or the 90s, or much earlier. One of my books that I need to spend more time with, because oh, it's just a masterpiece, is The Principles of Writing. It is the official instruction handbook of the German National Equestrian Federation, uh, this is one of the required readings for if you want to become a dressage judge, an FEI dressage judge, is this Principles of Writing book, and I really, really like it and need to read more of it. But this book, I think originally, let me look at the date. So the first publication of this book was 1985, and then it was republished 91, 92, 94, 96, 97, and the version I have is from 97. But when you look at it and you look at how they define on the bit, the horse's nose is in front of vertical. The horse's nose is several inches in front of vertical being on the bit and being on the vertical are not the same thing being on the vertical is collection and somehow we've lost this so if you look at books from the 50s the 60s the 70s you will see on the bit with the horse's nose in front of vertical in somewhere around the 2000s this changed and it's changed i think in part due to the horses we're riding I think our breeds have really changed. Prior to the 2000s, we didn't have this explosion of imported warm bloods. You know, this was really the time, especially in eventing, prior to 2000s. The thoroughbred was king. Everyone rode a thoroughbred, um, and thoroughbreds don't have this huge, crusty, warm blood neck. They are different different horses and different movers. And so when we were talking about on the bit for a thoroughbred and for these lighter-bodied horses, it wasn't on the vertical, and... For whatever reason, I think the warm blood has really changed this in our dressage
1: world. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, I think imagery that we constantly see being shared and posted, the constant pictures of like the top dressage riders, you know, you you see a venting nation or, you know, (laughs) USEF, they share these beautiful images of these horses in these Grand Prix tests. And they typically will take the snapshot, the beautiful snapshot of either they're doing their lengthening or they have come up for a collection movement where they're, you know, doing, I don't know, Piaf Passage, one of those. And the snapshot is right there where they're in the moment of collection. And so their horse is on the vertical and everyone will see that. And as it trickles down, Mm -hmm. people want to look like that. And so they skip all the in-between steps and they just put their horse on the vertical constantly the entire time because they don't understand. They don't understand the difference or what happened in that one picture
0: yeah and that's a hard thing when you're looking at a photo a photo only captures a moment and it doesn't capture you know the following moments is this a sustained position the horse is being ridden in or is this just a temporary moment and absolutely those collection photos if you google dressage images you're looking at a ton of advanced level horses performing pee offs and pirouettes and passage because well that looks really pretty in a photo and When we're seeing that, I think us as writers, we want to emulate, 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 not emulate emulate (laughs) top writers. And I think like this is something that, you know, Charlotte and Isabel and Carl have all been called out on, you know, and I... I don't know their exact justification for it or exactly why they feel that this is okay. But when those are the riders you're looking up to and you see their horses behind the vertical, I think it's just this, you know, you're becoming numb to it and you say, well, if they can do it, I can do it. You know, they're winning. They're, they're proving that this is an effective strategy and and they're winning with it, uh, which is really disappointing. So I want to share a study I found that I thought was fascinating and it is actually available for free download to anyone who wants to read it i cannot pronounce the author's names i just can't pronounce names (laughs) names isn't my thing um i'm really sorry but it was done by three ladies from germany so they were looking at dressage competitions in germany who are all university um, employees that were doing this research study and what they wanted to look at was the prevalence of hyperflexion in competition horses so it's actually like two parts to this study one part is looking at you know the relation of this position to behavior and to performance marks but also what is its prevel- prevalence in competitions and so they were in germany keep that in mind which okay. you know we do tout germany as being perfection um but i don't think they are any less affected by this riding style than those in other countries but what they found was that first off this riding style of being behind the vertical was very prevalent in the warm-up arena when we are and we're talking in this case right now upper level FEI horses they looked at both upper level doing you know, was it after fourth level that's what I'm trying to say <laughs> after fourth level uh, as well as lower level riders so the upper level riders after, who are competing above fourth level were very frequently seen using behind the vertical in the warm-up arena When they would go into the arena to ride in competition, they stopped and put the horse on vertical. And this is partly due to how FEI defines the frame a horse should be ridden in in 2010. They like cleaned up the definition. And so in theory, these riders, when they go into the uh, ring to ride, ride their upper level test, should be penalized for being behind the vertical they are not being penalized judges are giving high marks to these riders who are competing above fourth level but the opposite is happening for those riders below fourth level in this study they found that riders who were ri- who were riding at the lower levels were being penalized for behind the vertical or those above fourth level being rewarded and if you're watching riders who are riding above fourth level as most of us right that's who we want I don't watch a ton of you know training level riders and look, to look up to because you know they look a lot <laughs> like me right we want to look and watch the best riders in the world who are riding and competing at the upper levels they are getting awarded for this behind the vertical frame where their rules clearly say they can't be there they're getting the points for it and the scores for it and us lower level riders are being penalized for it so i think it's a really interesting double standard that's occurring
1: yeah, and it's hard because I don't know enough really to be able to speak on it. But what I have seen, and when I go to competitions and stuff, is that whoever's riding behind the vertical or a little bit slightly hyperflexed, they're cleaning up. They're doing super well. Whereas others that are riding not in that position are not doing anywhere near as well as they are.
0: Yeah, and that's what's what's frustrating. And I think, you know, you're constantly, when you're not scoring well, you're going to look and say, well, what is everyone else doing? Oh, well, everyone else is there so i have to be there as well and that's one of those things is i think dressage right now is at a crossroads we have to decide as a community or just as individuals what do we put first getting a good score or a horse's well-being and i think and i think we've seen this we know exactly the rider in the barn's barn that does this is they Get, really get aggressive during their ride and really push their horse to a level they shouldn't be or are almost abusive but then they get off and reward the horse with a carrot and therapy and pasture and they do all these things and think well overall I'm supporting my horse's care overall I am a good rider and a kind horse owner overall I'm putting my horse's well-being first but you have to do that in every moment yes for it to count
1: yeah it can't just be a 50 percent of the time you're caring for their well-being because that's not how it works it's not how it goes
0: no no it's not um and like as my as a rider one of my biggest fears is uh a rider and training on the ground everything I do with my horses is that I'm going to cause learned helplessness from them then I'm going to push them. I mean, even I sometimes get afraid that I'm going to do this when I'm like working them on the ground and like doing flagging exercises and desensitization exercises that I want to make sure my horse is accepting and good with what we're doing versus just sort of shutting down and accepting it. And I think that's what we see a lot of times in dressage horses. And there may have been a lecture or two about this at the dressage conference about learned helplessness being the reason for dull horses. And why we're seeing, you know, lackluster performances from some of these horses is because they are basically broken and their spirit is broken and they're dull because they have learned to just accept the pain and know they can't get away from it. So that's why it's so important that that well-being, that idea of a horse's well-being is 100% of the time, not 50 or 60 or 90% of the time.
1: That's not a position I ever want to put my own horse in. I don't want to see any horse in that position and it's so hard because I think we've all seen horses in in those positions and their riders are not doing it intentionally all the time. It can happen by on accident and they think that the just the reward after the ride is enough and just giving them you know the proper care and treatment to maintain their livelihood is enough when in reality it has to be applied to every aspect of their lives. I would say most of the riders who are guilty of riding behind the vertical
0: are doing it on accident or are doing it because they think it is okay. So riding, you know, in front of the vertical and being on the bit, those were linked, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I don't have (laughs) – I'm not making this up or I'm not that extreme that I don't want my horse to be ridden on the bit. I'm not at all that kind of person. But I was interested in seeing what the other side of the aisle thought when it came to hyperflexion. So I did spend a bit of time in some chat rooms and some forums looking at their arguments. And so, some, so these arguments really bother me. <laughs> so one of them is that it's an accept, it's acceptable to do this in a moment. So let it be a young horse that does not yet, and I'm quoting someone else. Sorry, guys. So let it be the young horse that does not yet have the muscle to carry itself properly or has balance issues, or an older horse that needs to be worked rounder since it does not seek true contact and carry itself and carries itself stiffly a horse that comes behind the vertical may still engage its core step underneath itself and move over the back so a lot of the argument is that well we're just going to do it in a moment we're just going to do it for a warm-up we're just going to do it for this little phase and at the end of the day It's not doing what you think it's doing. It's not engaging the horse's core. A horse can only stretch so much and you're causing the horse discomfort. So is that discomfort worth it for one moment? Probably not. And it's still at that also an invasion, evasion tactic. Like the horse is still evading the bit. So I
1: just, this argument that it's okay for just a moment really bothers me. It also bothers me the comment of a young horse unable to balance themselves. You ride them there. Because that's certainly not going to help them balance themselves. No, it's only going to pull them further onto the forehand and they're not going to be
0: learning to load their haunches. And loading their haunches is really, really hard and it causes a lot of stress on the body. So it's something that needs to be taken time with. And yes, a younger horse isn't going to be able to do it immediately, But it is something that you have to work on and focus on and letting them do the opposite. It's not going to build more strength on the haunches.
1: It's a slippery slope. Once you say in this moment, it's okay. The next time you're going to say in these other moments, it's also okay. And now suddenly your entire warm up is it.
0: Right. And I mean, that's exactly how a habit is created. A habit is something you do repeatedly over and over and so the more times you allow it the more it's going to happen so one of the other arguments I saw which I don't 100% disagree with this argument but I do think it needs to be sort of taken in context is that the on the other side there are plenty of ponies on the vertical and ahead of the vertical that shuffle around um, with a floppy core and a u-shaped back. why does hyperflexion get demonized when the later does not receive harsh judgment so for this, I think they're actually talking about two totally different things. First off, a small pony that wants to trot around with its nose out is a perfectly yes. happy pony. Like, <laughs> right, he's totally fine. And even big horses do this. But I think we all can imagine that perfectly fat little pony with a kid on it just <laughs> be bopping around the arena. There's nothing wrong with that. That horse is fine. <laughs> But there is a difference between a horse that is stressed and has their head above the vertical and their back dropped out. And this is usually caused by pain. And I think we can all agree that pain is not okay. So yes, if your horse is because they have too big of a rider or poor saddle fit or they're super anxious and not relaxed, throwing their head up and riding above the bit. is also like totally bad, don't do that. Like you have to solve this issue just as much as you need to solve the behind the bay issue.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a lot quicker people jump on it and fix it when they see the horse completely hollow with their head stuck up in the air. Is it's not, no one is standing there saying this is okay, this is good. Where on the offside, I think with hyperflexion is a lot of times people will say a little bit is, of it is okay. And sometimes they say that it's fine. Whereas when the horse is hollow, people are immediately saying, no, 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 correct that, and then they correct it with overflexion. Right, and I, like, to
0: me, when I see a horse that's hollow, that is, like, the beginning. That's where you're starting from, and you're going to address this problem, where hyperflexion is, like, the end often, and that's where people have purposely ridden, to. No horse, no person purposely, well... Eh. most horse people i you know saddle seats its own discussion but like most people don't purposely ride their horse to be hollow to throw their head up in the air to drop their back out like that is not where people are purposely riding their horse to where hyperflexion you've actively chosen to go there
1: yes what are the arguments for people having?
0: Um, and the other one that I'm seeing a lot is this. It's ju- it's a warm-up technique. So, right, like that stretch conversation we were having. And this is where you're going to see people like Charlotte and Isabel and Carl getting in a lot of trouble for because they do use this method in the warm-up arena. And it's used as like, I don't know, I'm going to get deep flexion now and then my horse will be more likely to stay in a correct position during the test. And I think it just – that argument – well, this is where I personally got stuck in it myself. Myself, a as couple well. years ago, and per, per like thought that okay, oh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense to do it now. We know that our horses' bodies only can flex and bend so much before you're no longer before going the opposite direction. So I just because they're top riders doesn't justify justify it and i'm not a top rider i don't don't pretend to be i also don't pretend to know why they choose this method or what the justification is i i didn't go down that rabbit hole yet right we're
1: not in their barns we're not seeing them riding every single day it's just what we have seen
0: yeah what we have seen is them doing this method specifically in the warmup arena and then going to that FEI approved position um and that just so we're aware the FEI does define it as The head should remain in a steady position as a rule, slightly in front of vertical with a supple pull at the highest point of the neck and no resistance should be offered to the athlete. So even the FBI defines it as having that uh, pull being the highest point of the neck and why they get rewarded for being lower than that, I do not know.
1: It's just a picture that's constantly pressed on us that eventually you think and you see it and you say, oh, that's beautiful. It's what you're supposed to have when it's not. And I think a lot of times when you look back at those old pictures and you look back on old like burly badminton photos or dressage tests the old days a lot of times the horses were not anywhere near the positions that we're riding them in now and yes we have come a long way in our horsemanship and our riding and overall techniques of just not running your horse straight into a pond you know we've come a long ways but yes (laughs) a lot of stuff that happened previously some of it was good that we didn't necessarily need to move away from.
0: And that is like where I go back to my original point of I think the warm blood has left a lot of confusion in the dressage world. That the introduction of this warm blood who has that who's has a bigger, crustier neck naturally is more likely to be round than the thoroughbred has made people think on the bit and on the vertical are the same thing and that's where you need to be. And your horse... And I just, I disagree completely. On the vertical is like the highest form of collection. Your horse should not go beyond the ver- should be on the vertical in those high collection movements and not throughout your regular ride. And I think if you're starting with on the bit as being on the vertical, well, then where do you go for collection? And I think that's where we're, there's yeah. a lot of confusion is that you're looking at these riders who are riding at the top level and saying, well, then that's how my, training level horse needs to move that's how my intro level horse needs to move and that is not true yes you may score well because your horse is riding above the level and it may be rewarded well because your horse looks you know like they're above the level but if you didn't actually put the training in to get there if your horse doesn't also have impulsion and straightness and proper contact then you cheated and you're not actually there yes
1: and i know it feels like we're picking on dressage riders right now but it's not just that i have seen Think about upper level show jumpers, you know, when they're going on their straightaways Mm -hmm. or in between the jumps, they are really over flexing their horses, getting them round, just working with that over flexion to keep them soft in between the jumps. And that I think has gotten a lot more distinct and become a trend over the years, especially with show jumpers where previously you saw the horse might not have been right, but previously you saw them, you know, with their head up a little bit more. They may, might be coming into the jumps a little bit more hollow.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I think this is a problem with the, almost all riding disciplines. There are definitely riding disciplines that this can be excused from because there's not a focus on headsets such as like trail riding and endurance. Uh, and even I'm going to excuse stock seat. Uh, equitation and stock steep performance for quarter horses (laughs) not for Arabs um, but for quarter horses I'm going to excuse them from this conversation not that they don't have their own issues going on with headsets but I think there's a couple disciplines we can excuse from this but everyone else is part of this conversation and this doesn't just apply to
1: dressage horses this applies to anyone who's ever over flexed their horse yeah and it's just something that we need to become more aware of And not just immediately dismissing it and saying, I don't do this. Because the chances are we all do it to a slight degree. And we just have to correct that. We have to be aware of it. And as soon as it happens, we need to correct it. So I want to
0: uh, mention a couple studies that I did look up trying to figure out, you know, just trying to figure out what the research is when it comes to hyperflexion. And this is actually an area of research um, where we've actually spent some effort and some time, which I'm really appreciative of. Up to 2010, there was really a gap in the research where people were just sort of looking at it as good, bad. And then after 2010, we really saw like a shift of people saying, okay, we think it's bad. Why is it bad? How do we know it's bad? And so I found a lot of studies that looked at the effects of hyperflexion on the horse's behavior and basically their stress responses. And it was found in like study after study after study that horses that were being ridden in this hyperflex position were showing increased heart rate. They were in showing um, tail swishing, ear pinning, gapping in the mouth. They were showing flared nostrils. They were showing signs of pain and discomfort in study after study. And this was even, you know, this wasn't horse's head to the chest we also these studies also found that that same stress was being indicated when the horse was in that really neck high position and their back was dropped out and this is different than that plunky little pony trotting around the arena this is a horse that we can think of that really hot thoroughbred who's like melting (laughs) down yes their their heads way up and they're stressed as well so study after study has found that the most comfortable position for a horse is at the vertical or slightly in front of it between a sort of natural uh, position where their head's more around the wither you know that lower position or more natural carriage to their head maybe a foot or two foot up <laughs> maybe not two feet up but like that natural to where we see or think of on the bit correctly being if that makes sense that range is where the horse is most happy
1: and most comfortable and study after study supports that so what do you, what do we do with that information? Just stop. It's it's hard when you hear all these research and everything because we know it stresses them out. We know it's hard on their bodies. So how do, how do you make people stop?
0: So I think we just have to become more and more conscious of it in our everyday riding, and we need to. As a rider, you have to make that decision: what's more important, my score in this moment, or my horse's comfort? And I think this is something we have to stop doing. In day-to-day training we have to stop letting our horse get to a point where they fall behind the vertical and we have to make sure that we properly understand what being on the bit is and that being on the bit is a more advanced level movement like you said this is after four steps on the training pyramid can we begin to get our horse on the bit this is not we don't start on the bit and then get these other things we have to start with impulsion with straightness with relaxation and then we get on the bit so changing when we're getting on the bit I think is really crucial to our horses development and I think it's unfortunate sometimes that we're seeing these young horse classes being promoted because I think we're yeah we're seeing being on the bit and having a round neck as being evidence of a good ride
1: I cannot remember the last time I saw a young horse pick or in these young horse classes and groups being pushed That they were not being ridden behind the vertical. And it's almost every single, like, you see people riding their three-year-olds, their four-year-olds. Every single one of them almost, they're behind the vertical slightly. It's not by a huge degree, but they're behind the vertical. And it's there. And it's this training that starts right from the very get-go, right from the beginning.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no... We all have seen the Facebook image, right, that talks about, or I guess it's it's an image (laughs) image, but Facebook gets shared a lot there, that the horse's back, right, doesn't fuse until they're about six years old. So if your back isn't done growing and developing until you're six, how are you able to fully lift, carry, and develop self-carriage if you're not done growing, right? Because we know how hard it is for a rider to go through a growth, growth spurt and they have to relearn everything horses are just the same way they have to relearn how to use their bodies every time it changes on them (laughs) yes i guess for the final thing final part of this episode is i just want to share some of the techniques we use while we're riding in order to make sure our horses are moving in a correct position (laughs) so one of my favorite things to do is to drop my stirrups and give my horse a good tickle in the tummy And while, like, my leg position has to change and my legs are technically not correct, it's a good way, um, especially with a horse that's really stiff in the back, to try to get to say, we're starting with the back, and then your neck will adjust from there when you wrap those legs around and ask them truly to lift their stomach up into their back. I, I enjoy doing this, especially at the walk, just to make sure that we all are on the same page kind of thing. That's
1: cute. I like that.
0: And I have long enough legs that I can do it I think <laughs> that, that helps. Uh, yes
1: I don't. I, I cannot do that.
0: <laughs> yes and I love riding a good short horse so my long legs on a pony <laughs> like there was a school pony I used to ride and the girls like all the school kids would get on him and he would just be a giraffe and he would just be a pain in the butt. He'd act like a little llama a little giraffe drop out his back and just basically rip around the arena to get <laughs> away from everyone and every time I got on him and I started getting with the older girls like who had long enough legs is like just wrap your legs around his tummy until he drops his head like don't pull on his head don't touch his mouth but if you just tickle him in the tummy until he drops his head then you've got his whole body engaged and he immediately relaxes and cannot rip that bit from you. But it's hard, hard, hard work for them to hold their back up there. So you can only do this for a second or two. Um, But it's the same thing as doing like a tummy lift on the ground where you tickle them with your fingers or or like curry comb or something to get them to lift. Um, The other big thing to do is when you find your horse falling behind vertical and the pole dropping is to reset. Like legs on, soften your reins. You need to do a half halt, rebalance your horse, make sure they're on their haunches, and basically reset the position. Don't, don't, it's really hard to get them to go right back to being on the vertical or in front of the vertical if you're, if you don't just kind of start from scratch, if that makes sense. Um, and the last little one I want to talk about, well, I guess one more stretchy chewy circles relaxation um, exercises and conditioning so building that top line your horse cannot support themselves if they don't have the top line to do it so a lot of conditioning work needs to go in and if you're finding your horse frequently falling behind the bit and frequently trying to evade it go back to conditioning
1: work and long long and low where their nose is out not where their nose is deep i think conditioning work a lot more emphasis should be put on that every day with people riding.
0: Agreed.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have the muscles to do the work, how are you going to do the work?
0: Exactly. And then this is an interesting strategy. I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, it is being So – I'm trying to figure out how to, like, explain this. So if you guys know what a demi-aret is, demi-aret, which is – being incorrectly defined currently on the internet there is a trend right now to use demi as a way to get the horse out of or a way to define a technique for getting the horse out of behind the bit and basically what's being promoted is you like lift your hands a little bit you kind of tickle the mouth their mouth with the bit and get them to kind of lift their head up off the bit which i'm not i would rather see you just drop contact and start from scratch than pulling them out of yeah being behind the bit because i don't think that actually works you're still just riding off of your hands instead of going back to the
1: haunches where the problem is that's something i think that's being taught a lot is just lift your hands more they start going behind the vertical lift your hands lift your hands
0: yeah and this demi and i'm so sorry if i'm butchering demi it's french i don't know how to pronounce french words but this is like the new thing right now. The new thing is, oh, if my horse falls behind the vertical, I lift my hands and tickle the edge of their mouth with the bit, or like vibrate the bit. And you're just addre- you're not addressing the true problem, which is that your horse actually fell behind your leg, dropped its back, and it is evading at this point. You're just going, you're just playing with the bit, and this is no, this is still riding your horse uh, front to back yeah. instead of back to front. But the real confusion with this is that the term demi is French for half halt, which is what you should be doing. <laughs> A half halt is where you and rider and horse rebalance. It has nothing to do with wiggling the bit. A half halt is not wiggling the bit. A half halt is re-engaging everybody's core, everybody getting back to the center of balance. And so I don't know where this came from and why there's this confusion or this using this term. This term, Demiorette, means half halt in French. You should be doing a half halt to get your horse back in front of the vertical. You should not be doing this new definition, which is wiggling and lifting your hands.
1: That's interesting. I did not... Things get misinterpreted all the time. And that is when someone Mm -hmm. tells you to slightly wiggle a bit or, you know, play with your reins left to right and it turns into seesawing, is things get misconstrued all the time and taken out of context. A topic for another time. (laughs) Yeah, a topic for another time. But just remember, guys...
0: A bit is metal and nobody wants... no. A wiggling, moving, jerking bit is not going to get your horse soft through the back. They're going to want to evade and get away from that real quick. So, yes, there is play on the reins when you're riding correctly. Very minute, very soft. I'm not saying this definition from Demiorette translates to seesawing, seesawing, and this... New definition are two different things, but leave the bet, keep the butt still. A horse is more likely to ride towards it if it's still um, and soft versus it jerking and moving around.
1: Right, and the way to get your horse relaxed in the back is not to use their face. Correct.
0: Putting them on the forehand, getting them hyperflex is not going to help the back at all. <sighs> so I think that is all I have for this topic right now. <laughs> there are so many rabbit holes that can be that we can go down with this topic and so many different ways to approach it but i just really really wanted to start addressing that modern style of writing and that we've got to knock it off
1: or or just accept that we don't care anymore and continue i, I prefer the option of let's all stop <laughs> all right guys well thank you so much for sticking with us and listening to our podcast today If you have any questions or if you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on Instagram at mudstuds underscore skullcaps. If you have any topics or questions you want to ask us, you can send us an email at mudstudsskullcaps at gmail.com. And if you are using
0: Apple iTunes or that Apple podcast, go ahead and leave a five-star review so other people can find us so we can start to climb the charts a little bit and get promoted as a fun horsey weapon podcast for others to listen to and remember that review is for others so they know that we're (laughs) awesome um or somewhat awesome or medium awesome whatever whatever you're feeling whatever you're feeling no pressure um and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our episodes um, that come out every week stay safe
1: stay classy and stay in the saddle Bye. Bye. bye